righteousness is my only hope of righteousness at heaven's throne. Yeshua, my Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the Voice of My Beloved podcast with Brayden and Tally. Uh, we are going through the Song of Songs uh, through a series here. And, uh, and we're also, we're here getting ready for Sukkot. We're starting uh, Sukkot here tomorrow, which we're super excited about. And we've been making preparations and getting ready to build sukkahs. And uh, this is such a, an exciting time of the year. One of our favorites for sure. We're missing Israel, but we're also going to be joyful here. So, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, so we've got Sukkot coming up and, and I just wanted to say, uh, some of you have noticed that we are no longer, uh, all of the podcasts are not showing up on SoundCloud anymore. And I just wanted to explain that we've moved to a different platform. We are now on Podbean, which means that we are, uh, this podcast here is available on pretty much every other podcast platform maybe except soundcloud uh so we're on spotify now and i believe believe the uh google podcasts um itunes and all of that stuff so go look for us there and uh and be sure to you know share the new links if you've been sharing the old links you have to go find the new links uh so i uh, hope you can figure that all out uh but we like this pot this uh platform better so <laughs> we're excited about it uh so yeah so we're gonna dive into the study here a song of songs yes so glad you're all with us we're going to carry on here with song of solomon chapter four verse five before yeah. i well i just wanted to say like we're th at this point of this of the song we're finishing he's the like uh song of praise is kind of finishing up now and then we're going into like the next part of the story which is a really neat part of the story too so yeah yeah, yeah i want to share a little quote with you all out there from charles spurgeon this is a famous 18th century preacher out of england but he says if i must prefer one book above another i would prefer some books of the bible for doctrine some for experience, some for example, some for teaching, but let me prefer this book above all others for fellowship and communion. So I think that's a pretty profound statement from a 18th century preacher. He <laughs> saw the Song of Solomon as the book to be preferred for fellowship and for communion. Mm -hmm. to, so this, the heart of this book is to fellowship, the fellowship of knowing God, of mm -hmm. knowing his heart, knowing his passion for his people. Mm -hmm. And so this section that we're going to get in today is really speaking of that. It's, we're getting into the heart of the book, you could say. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the phrases we're going to get into is, uh, you have ravished my heart. Wow. That's the bridegroom speaking over his bride that he has ravished. He is so just overflowing with emotions towards his bride. Mm -hmm. And this really helps us put meat on the bones of of the revelation of why Yeshua gave his life for us, right? You know, because he did it out of love. He did it out of this great love that he has for his people. And so this, it helps us to get the emotion behind it. You know, it's not just in a, in a total vacuum or just a, like a, for, you know, it, it helps us to really engage with the emotion of why he did what he did. He did it out of love. Right. So here we are. We're in chapter four, verse five. 
It says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. So he's finishing up here in chapter four with this. It's one of the, the longest uh, praises that he gives to the bride. And so this is one of the, the statements he gives towards the end of that. Your two breasts are like two fawns. And so breast in the Song of Solomon speak of the ability to nurture. So it's, it's the bride is, is able to bring in those that are needy of nurturing, of mm-hmm. needy of, of uh, nourishment, and she's able to, to help them. You know, Peter talks about the milk of the word, right? And so Tally right now, she's nursing our little baby, Gilad, and uh, he's, he's getting really fat. He's getting healthy <laughs> on, that, on that milk. But uh, in the same way, new believers and people that are you know, immature are able to be nurtured by the bride. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of our callings is to be mature, to be able to nurture those that are coming into the faith with the pure milk of the word. Mm-hmm. As we minister the word, we are this, you know, the, the supplying of that milk is, is going to bring nourishment and strength to the body. Yeah. And also um, just to remember one of the names of God is El Shaddai, right. which is also the breasted one. And so, um, so this is another, uh, a lot of times referred to as God, my provider. God, my provider, exactly. Yeah, but literally, Nurture. yeah, and, yeah. But literally, yeah. it is, yeah, the one that is supplying that milk. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> right. so it's a it's a pretty wild uh, concept. But that's that's one of his names, El Shaddai. Yeah. So so as the bride, it's almost like we're you know we're seeing that example that God is to us. We're being nurtured by Him, El Shaddai, and then we're able to nurture others in the body um, through you know, through our, and this is something that Nancy Campbell talks a lot about as far as our role as, as women to nurture our children, that this is, this is part of God's identity is a nurturer is, um, is the breasted one, the one that's, that's nurturing his people. And so, uh, so yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty high calling. Right. And then we see here in this verse that she's feeding among the lilies and this speaks of purity and innocence, you know, in the, in the epistles, it talks about to the pure, all things are pure. Mm-hmm. And so this is the bride. She's feeding among the lilies. Uh, she's able to minister innocence and purity to those that she's ministering to. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a powerful place for her to walk in. Mm-hmm. Next verse, chap, uh, chapter four, verse six, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. So the first line until now, this the- is, This is a voice switch here, right? Is this the bride speaking? Yes. Yes. So here, here the bride speaking until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. And she said this before back in chapter two, mm-hmm. but she's saying it again. And this speaks of, she's waiting for that dawning of the kingdom, right? She, until the kingdom comes in fullness and the shadows flee away. The shadows can refer to those areas of compromise, right? The, the light is not fully shining on her. She's waiting for that day when all those shadows flee away. Mm-hmm. I'm just standing in the, in the radiant light. There's no shadows. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no darkness. There's nothing that's keeping me from walking in a hundred percent obedience. Yeah. So until those shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. She's saying in a sense that this mountain of myrrh, we've discussed this already in previous podcasts, but the myrrh is speaking of sacrificial commitment and love. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to this mountain of myrrh to recommit to, to say, I'm willing to go all the way. I'm willing to even suffer for your namesake. And uh, this is part of those shadows fleeing away. You know, a lot of times the shadows, the compromise in our life are related to our reluctance to deny ourselves, right? We don't, Mm -hmm. we enjoy the comforts. We enjoy the, the, 
the seeming pleasure that we get from whatever sin that we're we're attached mm-hmm. to. But she's saying, I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to go to that mountain of myrrh, lay down my life so that those shadows will flee away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also thinking of shadows in, um, you know, a shadow is like, it's like a, you know, it's like a, what's it called? A reflection of me, kind of. But it's like this dark, very undefined reflection of me. And I'm just thinking about like um, the kingdom. Like we don't know the fullness of what that is going to be like, but we have like the idea of a shadow of it. Like I'm even thinking of, of um, you know, Yeshua and the prophecies and stuff. Like there were, there are shadows of things. It's like this kind of like hint at something. Right. And how like that's kind of what we're living in right now. Like there's this promise of what's to come, but we're kind of living in the shadows of it. In right. the like we're in the not detailed quite we don't know exactly what's coming and the enemy can use that to be like you know say oh it's not really real or it's not you know the enemy uses it like because it's so undefined that it kind of help it it makes us doubt the reality of it and but she's here she's like committed to to I'm going to keep on going until the shadows are gone until right. like it's real. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. By faith, she's going to press on. Yeah. 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 That's great. So then one really powerful part I realized in the Hebrew, I was just sometimes before we do the podcast, I like to just look at the Hebrew and I noticed something really powerful this time. For those that are familiar with the Torah portions, you know, there's a weekly Torah portion in Israel. There's one Torah portion that's called Lech Lecha. And it's the Torah portion when God speaks to Abraham and says, go to a land that I will show you. Mm-hmm. And so that word go is actually two Hebrew words, lech lecha, which means lech means go. And then lecha means to you. So one of the understandings that is taught from this Torah portion is that when God called Abraham to go, he said lech lecha, he was really saying go to you. <laughs> Basically go to your true calling, right? When, when you follow God, when you, the, the truth behind this phrase is that when you follow God, you're actually finding yourself, yourself, you're finding your true purpose, right? And so in this section, the song of songs where it says, I will go my way. There's a very similar statement. She says, Elech li, which is basically the same Hebrew words, just put in a different tense. She says, Elech is, I will go. And then li is to me. So saying, I will go to me. It's almost like it's a response to the lech lecha. Mm -hmm. And then you say, like, I will go to myself. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. And and it's going in this path of obedience. She said, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And similar to Abraham, he sacrificed, right, to follow God. He had to leave behind all that was familiar to him. And so the bride here also, she has to leave what's familiar and go to this place of sacrifice. So she says, Elech li, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And we see Yeshua referring to this too in Matthew 10, 39. He says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so here's the bride. She's actually finding her life as she loses her life in the mountains of myrrh. And so this is a powerful thing for us to realize is that as we embrace the mountain of myrrh, as we embrace the way of the cross, we are going to find ourselves. We're going to find true meaning and purpose in our lives. Mm-hmm. She 
uh, goes on and says, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. And so just want to look at this for a second, the mountain of myrrh symbolizing sacrifice. And then the hill of frankincense is symbolic of prayer. We see the incense in revelation speaking of prayer. So this hill of frankincense is referring to her prayer life. She's going to go in the way of sacrificing, denying herself, and then also on this hill of frankincense. And so there's an understanding in this that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, wow, you know, I've got to spend hours and hours and hours in prayer in order to overcome this mountain of sacrifice, in order to be prepared to overcome this mountain of sacrifice. What this verse teaches us is, is that we don't have to spend, you know, exorbitant amounts of time in prayer to overcome the mountain mm -hmm. of sacrifice. We, it's a hill of frankincense on that hill of prayer, even a small amount, even just a, a basic commitment. I'm going to pray every day. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like going to a, a closet for, you know, especially if you're a mother, right? You, you only have a certain amount of time. Right? Yes, yes. We got to have the hills of frankincense. Yeah. Do so you have a hill of frankincense, but this is going to help you. You're going to be able to overcome the mountains of trials in your life, even from that hill of, of prayer. Yeah, of, I, th I think some of us look at prayer as a mountain <laughs> like, right like but yeah i i think that the perspective is like it's almost discouraging when you think oh it's, there's this constant like i don't pray enough or you know and i think it, it's, it is important to know like how much um how much god works in what we give you know in in the time that we are allowed to give not that exorbitant amount or uh, exorbitant times of prayer are yeah, that. at times God <laughs> like, will call us to that to have right, it. You know, right. really, if we see that in the scriptures. You know, Yeshua would spend all night in prayer. You know, yeah. so it's there's definitely a place for that. But oftentimes, you know, especially if you're a mother, father, you know, you you can you can sometimes uh, be self condemning that you're not you know expending this exorbitant amount of time in prayer. Yeah. But this verse teaches us the bride, you know, from that hill of frankincense. It's a hill. You know, it's not it's not just a little mountain. It's still a hill. You know, yeah, it's yeah. still this it's still a substantial thing. But yes. from that hill of prayer, you will be able to overcome the mountains mm -hmm. of of myrrh, the mountains of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Verse seven, moving on, he says to the bride after this commitment to go and she's just, she just has intentions, right? She says, I will go. She hasn't even gone yet, but then he just gushes with this praise to her. He says, you are all fair, my love, or you are all beautiful. There is no spot in you. So up to this point, he has said, you're beautiful, but this is the first time he says, you are all beautiful. He just has such a, a praise to give her right now. He's overcome really with her commitment to go to these mountains of myrrh to, to lay down her life. So it makes me think of Rebecca. You know, she says, I will go, right? The, the, the uh, family asks Rebecca, Isaac's wife, you know, will you go? She says, I will go. And, uh, and this is a beautiful thing when we say, I will go. You know, it makes me think of the old, old song, um, I will follow him, right? No turning back, uh -huh. right? And so this is a beautiful thing when we say, I will follow you. And he just says, wow, this is beautiful to me. There is no spot in you. And I want to just look at a few scriptures here on the spots. So we have Ephesians 5.27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So here he's telling her, you're without spot. Your obedience and your commitment to me is so amazing. You're, you have no, there's no spot in you. 
Another verse here on on uh, this without spot theme, Second Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. This is something that requires diligence on our parts, on, on our part, is that we would uh, be found without spot and blameless before him. Mm-hmm. Then James 127, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Mm-hmm. So here, here again, we see this, this need that we would be ready, that we would be without spot mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah, and of course that makes us think of the bride's linen wedding dress too, the clean, uh, that clean white linen wedding dress. Um, that's what our desire is to be clean without spot on the day that he comes, right? Yes. So moving on to verse eight, it says, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse with me from Lebanon, look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. So this is a, a real turning point in the song. This verse, this is the first time that the bridegroom actually calls the the bride, the bride, uh, this, the Hebrew word kala is right there where it says, uh, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. That's also the word bride. So this is the first time that he refers to her as the bride. And so this going back to that point where she says, I will go to the mountain of myrrh. This is a real transition in her life where, you know, he loved her extravagantly before, but now she's agreeing to enter into this place of carrying, taking up the cross, right? Of taking up the cross and following him. Mm-hmm. And this brings the bridegroom to say, you are the bride. You are the one that is willing to follow me even in the place of suffering. Mm-hmm. So uh, this word kala in Hebrew is also a word that we see in the Bible that means to complete. So we know just as in marriage, you know, that a husband and wife complete one another. This is also the case with the bride of Messiah, that she is one who completes the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. He, he says in this verse, look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon. Amana, you hear the word amen in that. It's the same root. Uh, we hear the same root as amen in this word Amana, which means faith, right? You also have emunah, which is faith. And so look from the top of Amana. It's basically saying, look from this, high up perspective, look, basically get an aerial view of, you know, from my perspective, I'm looking up from this top place, look from the top and look at the situation that you're in from eyes of faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the way that we can overcome the mountains because they can just seem so overwhelming at times. Right. But God's saying, look from the top. Don't, don't look from the bottom of those mountains. Look from the top of Amana and you'll be able to see clearly. From Hermon and Sinir. Hermon is up in the north of Israel, very up in the north, actually in Lebanon. And on a clear day, you can actually see the peak of Hermon. It's one of the tallest mountains in the region. But you can actually see it from the area that we've spent a lot of time over in Israel. On a real clear day, you can see the snow-capped peak of Hermon. Mm-hmm. But he says, look from Sinir and Hermon. And just a, a side note, biblically, Hermon and Sinir are actually considered the same mountains. It says here in Deuteronomy 3, 9, the Sidonians call Hermon Sirion and the Amorites call it Sinir. 
So here we see the Amorites. It's just another name for the same mountain. The Amorites called Hermon Senir. And it's actually thought that Senir is one of the central mountains of Hermon. So it's like a, the, one of the peaks within the mountain range of Hermon. So he says, look from this place, look from this mountain range. Hermon actually is connected to the Hebrew word destroy. And so the idea here is that in this place, in the mountains of myrrh, this is what they've been referred to. This is where Yeshua went and destroyed the enemy, right? We have the first John three, eight passage. that says, uh, for the purpose, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And where he did that was in those mountains of myrrh where he laid down his life. Where he suffered. And then Senir, it means pointed. And so, you know, he took the, the points of those uh, whips and the, and the thorns in his brow in those mountains of myrrh. And so uh, he says, look from the top of Amana, even in that place of suffering, uh, look from that place of Emunah, from that place of faith and see that the enemy is going to be destroyed. That's where the bridegroom said, I've already been, I've been before you. I've destroyed the enemies in this place of, of uh, destruction and thorns. I've been there. You can look with eyes of faith uh, for your future and I'm going to overcome the enemy. I've, I've destroyed the works of the devil. So this is the, the idea of the mountains of myrrh in this place of suffering. God eventually comes in and he destroys all the works of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And this is also a place of warfare. We see it, that verse goes on. It says from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. So lions and leopards, these are dangers, right? These are, these are dangerous animals. And we also get the idea, you know, before this is where Yeshua had called her, you know, come with me up to the mountains. And she said, you know, you go, you go, I'm staying back. Right. And these lions and leopards are probably one of the big things that, you know, she was scared of these dangers of going into the mountains. Yeah. All of this sounds kind of intimidating going into it, but you just, the, the actual, you know, talk of what's going on right here doesn't feel real scary. You know, it's like there's so much, love there's so much praise there's so much willingness and like uh the heart even going into these not so pretty places is very it's a very overcoming feeling and right so it's uh and that that pl- from that place of faith you know i love that that from the top of amana from the top of my faith you know i'm going into these places so yeah it's a, it's a real encouragement yeah so it's a place of warfare and, and, and to be effective in warfare we must have faith we must have that shield mm-hmm. of faith that is able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's following him into this dangerous place because she has faith that he's, he's going to be with her mm-hmm. through it. Moving on to verse nine, you have ravished my heart. The Hebrew word, some Hebrew words just sound really neat to me. Uh, the Hebrew word for this is libavtini. Libavtini, right. Libavtini, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think so. Let me just check it real quick. Real quick here. I've got the Hebrew Bible right here. Uh, so it's in uh, verse nine. Uh, yeah, Libavtini. Yeah, you have re- ravished my heart. That's good. <clears throat> so uh, there's a name. Anyone want to name your child? <laughs> <laughs> you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart. He repeats it. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. So to ravish, it's just look at this word. Mm-hmm. It, it, biblically speaking, and even the, uh, the English word, the, the definition is to overwhelm with emotions of delight because of one who is unusually beautiful, attractive, pleasing, or striking. So here at the bridegroom, he's just gushing 
with love, right? He's, you know, you've ravished me. You've ravished my heart. Libavtini, you've ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. Mm-hmm. She's not even yet gone to the mountain. She just has her intentions <laughs> to go, but yet he's just overcome with this passion. Wow, you are amazing. She even knows what she's getting herself into. You know, it's like, I'm going to go even though, and they're talking about all the things that could happen out there. You right, know? right. Yeah, it's a amazing thing. He says, with one look of your eyes, this, when we set our hearts to look to Yeshua for our help, to just gaze upon the glory of the Lamb of God, this is a, there's a, a emotional reaction from him. Mm-hmm. He's overcome with, with desire. He's overcome with passion. And uh, so let's be encouraged to keep looking to him in prayer and worship, just to keep our eyes on him. And he says, with one link of your necklace, the neck speaks of the will, you know, that this, you know, the neck is what turns your head, you know, what direction you're going. So it speaks of the will. And so this necklace that adorns the neck is speaking of her commitment to obey. She has the will to Mm -hmm. obey the bridegroom. It says with just one link of your necklace, this speaks of even the small turning or the small acts of obedience that we choose him just with one link of her necklace, he's overcome with, he's just ravished by this, these small acts of turning our will to obey him. It makes me think of Matthew 10, 42. He says, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So this is the heart of God. He notices even the very small things, even the one link of a necklace. It's just pointing out this truth that he notices every small Mm-hmm. part of our hearts to turn to him mm-hmm. and he's overcome by even the small things you know in our minds we think oh we need to do some massive thing to really get god's attention uh-huh. no he says you just give a cup of cold water <laughs> to somebody and yeah. you're going to get a reward for that mm-hmm. it's just one look one look of your eyes one link of your necklace <laughs> yeah yes okay moving on to verse 10 it says how fair is your love or how beautiful is your love my sister my spouse how much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. So if you remember back in the first part of the Song of Solomon, this is what the bride says. It says, your love is better than wine. And now the bridegroom is saying the exact same thing to the bride. Your love is better than wine. Mm-hmm. And so this is a amazing thing. We unpacked that back in one of the beginning podcasts about first this. One, you know, the, maybe one of the very <laughs> first ones uh, about the wine, you know, how the wine represents the the goodness the even the the good things of pleasure in this life mm-hmm. you know that but god's love is better and so now the bridegroom is saying it's an amazing thing that he says this the bridegroom looks at the bride and says your love is better than wine he made the whole world you know the galaxies <laughs> he made you know all these amazing things that he could take pleasure in but he says your love is mm-hmm. better than all that mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing to think about and the purpose of this is for us to really grab a hold of it and go, wow, he takes delight in me more than all the creation that he has made. He takes delight in me. And so just to really grasp that is amazing. Mm-hmm. And he says that uh, you're the scent of your perfumes and all spices. The scent is, you know, the scent of a flower. It's speaking of the inner nature of that flower. And so when he speaks of the scent of something, he's speaking of the thoughts of the, the, the inner uh, beauty of something. And this is a challenge for all of us to guard our meditations, you know, the, mm-hmm. the inner 
thoughts of our heart would be this fragrant spice, you know, and that's why that's why he's speaking to the bride, even you know, prophetically. This is who you are. You're you're beautiful, even in the inner part of your heart. You bring forth this this perfume that's better than all spices. Mm-hmm. This is where the bride's going. Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking of the um, the incense that goes up, which is our prayers as well. Just how our prayers, even um, the scent of that, you know, of that incense that's going right. up, um, is more beautiful than all spices. It's like the most pleasing aroma to him. Right. And so just that that parallel as well. Mm-hmm. Last verse we're going to do today, verse 11. Your lips, O my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So this is a verse speaking of our words being like honey. We have Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And so then we have a reference to this under the tongue idea here in Psalms 10, seven, it says his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. So this idea of under the tongue, it's like the, it's, it's not in the tip of the tongue. It's under the tongue. There's like, there's, there's this kind of speaking of our thoughts, you know, like something that we're mulling over, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> coming out of our mouth, but it's like inside our heart. Yeah. Inside. So the wicked man is speaking of it in Psalm 10. He, he, under his tongue is trouble and iniquity, but the bride under her tongue is honey and milk. And, uh, you know, hu- milk and honey is the, is, these are the two defining things of the promised land, right? The land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the bride here, she's, she's got that under her tongue. She's just, um, she's meditating on the beauty of God's promises on, on his promises to his people that she's a part of that. And so this is a, a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, and I also think of the Psalm 15 where it says he's, that this man who will never be moved speaks the truth in his heart. And I think of that, you know, almost like that being the, the under the tongue as well, the speaking the truth in our hearts, those words that are under our tongue. Mm-hmm. To close, I want to share some of Charles Spurgeon's thoughts on this idea of honey. He says, a little caution to some of you that talk too much. Some of you do not let your words drop as the honeycomb. They gush out as a great stream that sweeps everything before it so that others could not thrust in a word edgeways. No, not if it were squeezed together and sharpened at one end, could it be got in. They must talk. Their tongue seems set on a hinge like a pendulum forever going on. Swing, swing, swing. Now Christ does not admire that. He says of his church in his commending, her lips drop as the honeycomb. Now a honeycomb, when it drops, does not drop go does not drop go much even as the drops that fall from the eaves of houses for the honey is thick and rich and therefore it takes some time one drop hangs for a time then comes another and then another and does not all come in quick succession <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, a neat it's idea sweet, right? yeah, sweet. <laughs> he goes on he says certainly if you do not read your bibles you will have no honey because you have no bees But when you read your Bibles and study those precious texts, it is like bees settling on flowers and sucking the sweetness out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) (laughs) So just that idea, yes, that our words be like honey, you know, that they're they're coming out of the honeycomb, that they're sweet. They're not just well thought out. Yeah, they're well thought. (laughs) We could all use help with this, right? Our words can just sometimes tend to just just gush out like water, but they'll be like the bride in her maturity. They'll come out like honeycomb. She'll be slow to speak. 
quick to hear, right? And so this is, this is what we're called to. And so may you all be blessed and may you know the passion of your bridegroom for you. He loves you so much. Yep. This is Brayden and Tally reminding you to listen to the voice of your beloved bridegroom. He's coming quickly. I love you.